pray together. Lord, thank you for our time of worship. Thank you now for your word. And, and as we open it up once again, I pray that uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the counselor, the spirit of truth, that you will uh, bring understanding, uh, illumination to us. Not that we would just only understand it, but then, Lord, bring practical application because it says in Romans that it's by the renewing of our minds and uh, that we're transformed. It says in James that as we not just hear but do your word, we'll be blessed. So that's our desire. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for your word and continue now to, to do what only you can do. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Over the last uh, few weeks, uh, if you haven't been with us, you know, after the, uh, the Supreme Court decision came down and it kind of created a, a major stir in the country and in the church, uh, we, we kind of sat down and we said, okay, where, where do we get our bearings on this as, as a church, you know? And, and with all the change that's happening in our culture and the country, we, we, we saw a quote, we read a passage where the author said, well, you know, uh, if we step back and, and we, we analyze what's happened, he says, you know, uh, on, the, on the one hand, everything's changed at the human level, the legal level, court level. But on, on the spiritual level, nothing has changed, right? And, and, and that, that, that nothing's changed has really caused us the last few weeks to center and to, to kind of be focused. Okay, Lord, what hasn't changed? All, uh, so, much, so much is happening. What hasn't changed? And, and, and we looked a few weeks ago that our call to be all in for Jesus hasn't changed from Luke, right? Hey, you have to love me more than any human relationship. Hey, you've got to love me more than any material item, right? You have to give up everything and follow me. So that didn't change. Our, our commitment and, and our surrendering, our dedication to Jesus hasn't changed, right? And in Philippians 3, we saw last week, Philippians 3.20, right? The Apostle Paul was talking about pressing on, and he's talking to the Christians in Philippi, which was a Roman colony. Philippi, the, the citizens there were Roman citizens, observed Roman customs, Roman law, but this city was 800 miles from Rome, right? But essentially, they considered themselves Roman citizens, and with all the privileges and responsibilities of that. And then in Philippians 3.20, he says this to the Christians there. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, believers, you've got to remember, your citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. And, and, and the application for us today in, in 2015, on July 26th, whatever is happening in this country called the United States of America, as believers, our citizenship is where? In heaven. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. And we saw and we looked at some passages last Sunday where that means we're just basically passing through. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners among non-believers. But our citizenship is somewhere else. Amen? That hasn't changed. And he's basically saying live like where you're from. Right? I, my, my daughter Shiloh is, is returning uh, from a month in, in England and in France and Scotland, right? And, and I shared with you last Sunday, when she's there with her friends, the locals know what? They're not from here, right? Just by the, their, their language, by ease, by listening, you can tell, oh, they're not from here. How many of you can tell someone who's not from Ojai? 
right? Because they don't stop at the crosswalk. You got to be careful on weekends here because we're used to you step out, everyone stops, right? Or they, they see you five feet away and a car stops. You step out on a weekend, wing, you're like, they're not from here, right? It's the L.A. mentality, right? And, and so we asked a question last Sunday, do people know, do they know out there that we are not from here? By the way we live our lives, by the way we uh, speak, by the way we carry ourselves, does the unbelieving world look at us and kind of go, where are you from, man? Where are you from? What kind of language is that? What kind of language is that? Right? Because just by walking in faith and obedience, you're going to stand out. You're going to be salt and light. And the world, the world's going to go, where are you from? Because around here, we just all gossip. It's okay. It's just what we do at work. And when you say, oh, no, I don't know. No, and I, you know, you politely bow out of that. Who she thinks she is. Right? And what they're kind of saying is, where are you from? Because this is just the way we do it around here. And there's that, there's that tension we have as we stay focused and are all in commitment to Jesus. And as we walk as citizens of heaven, we have to understand, by default, the world's going to go, what's up with you? Right. And, and, and it, it, we can take it as a good way. Right. We can count that as a, as, a, as a good thing that we stand out. But also, no one likes to be the unpopular one, do we? Right. And so there's this sort of peer pressure, this worldly pressure to conform and not to make waves and just kind of go with the flow. Well, you know, they all gossip. So I don't want to stand out. So I'm just, I'm, you know, and, and we have to be care- very careful that we don't just start to compromise and compromise and compromise and all of a sudden you're acting like one of the locals. When Paul reminds us, no, your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And so if we're going to continue staying rooted and grounded in our commitment to Christ in being a citizen of heaven as we move forward, we have to understand that, that again, in Philippi they were Roman citizens who observed Roman laws Roman customs. They basically live like Romans, right? If we're going to live as citizens of heaven, we've got to settle some issues with what a citizen of heaven looks like. Where do we go? Right? How do we know, if we want to call it the laws and customs of heaven, where do we look? The Bible. We have to settle that. And, and we're going to look at that today because even within the church, there's this tension. There's even this pressure that says, well, you know, it's time to bring this up to the 21st century. You know, the way you guys believe, and, and you people who believe this is the Word of God, infallible, inerrant, authoritative, oh, that's archaic. That's old school. You guys need to get up to the 21st century. You need to, this needs to change. This needs to change. Does it? We believe it doesn't, right? We believe it doesn't, which is tied to God's immutability. God doesn't change, right? But what happens when we don't like what it says? 
what happens when it's not an issue of I don't get it. It's more an issue of I don't like it. Then what? Sometimes we're, we're taught, oh, just take the good things out of the Bible. The Bible is a self-help book. And the things that you really don't like or the things that, that are uncomfortable or, or even, you know, ah, just create, ah, ah, you just, you can just sharpie those out. Just, just focus on the parts of the Bible that you like. And, and we can't do that if we're going to be citizens of heaven. You know, it's really all or nothing. It's really all or nothing. And, and we're going to look at a couple illustrations from the, from the life of Peter. Let's turn to Matthew 16, right? Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, Jesus has this conversation with his boys, his, his disciples. Matthew 16:13 it says, "When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say the Son of Man is?" They replied, "Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets." But what about you?" he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So back in verse, starting verse 13, right? Jesus says, hey, who do the crowds, who do the people say I am? And the, his boys give some, give some answers. And then he makes it personal. Verse 15. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter says, hey, you're the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So, Peter has his eyes and his heart open to understand, hey, you're the Christ. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? There's a revelation that was made to him and he speaks it. And Jesus goes, woohoo! Good job! Yes! And so they're celebrating. I guess Peter's probably like, yes, he told you I was the best, right? And so, so there's this moment where they're all celebrating. They're all celebrating because Peter made this incredible profession, truthful profession of who Jesus was. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, that was... That was revealed to you supernaturally. Okay? Way to go. Way to go. So they're at this really high. This, ooh, yes, you're the Christ. And, you know, Peter's probably like floating. But then something changes really quick. Right? Look at verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So, Peter makes this great profession revealed to him by God. Hey, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus begins to tell them what's going to happen. Look at what Jesus says. I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. 
I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to be raised to life. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is what Peter did. So Jesus is talking. We don't know for sure, but he's teaching him. He's saying everything that's about to happen. Jesus, when it says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, here's what he did. No, never, Lord. That's not going to happen to you. What are you talking about? Peter takes Jesus aside. What are you talking about? Never. It says he begins to rebuke Jesus. Jesus, in the middle of his, his rant, it says here, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He stops him. He says, hey, you're, you're being used by Satan right now, dude. Satan means adversary. I just told you. I just revealed. Thank you. I just revealed what's about to happen. And you're in my face? Because you don't like it? In the passage before, something was revealed to Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Suddenly, Jesus starts revealing things to them that they don't like. It doesn't fit their expectation, their box of the Messiah. See, the Messiah was supposed to be conqueror. The, the Messiah in their mind was a strong figure. Jesus is saying, you're right, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the Anointed One, but let me tell you God's plan for the Anointed One, based on Isaiah 53. And Peter reacts. How many of you have ever reacted? Just reacted to something you didn't like? Anyone? This morning? Oh, oh, we have, we have one of those in the back row. I won't, I won't give it up, but I'm glad, see, that's why you came. Just, just for that moment right there. Just, we can talk after. We can talk. Peter reacts because Jesus, a revelation. This is Jesus. He just told him he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the Christ, the Son of the living God, is now revealing God's plan. And Peter rebukes him. Are you crazy? What are you talking about? That's nuts. He got it. He didn't like it. He understood. Wait, 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 wait. You got to... Okay, my wires are now crossed. Because I thought. And I expected. And if I were God, this is what I would do. Anyone? And God reveals the truth through His Son, Jesus, about what God's plan is. And Peter gets busted. He understood fully what Jesus was saying. He, he, for some reason, he missed the raised to life part. How many of you have ever reacted initially before you got the whole story? Anyone? Well, if you just to let me finish. Right? So Peter has this reaction to where he can't even hear the raised to life part. He's just reacting because he didn't like what was revealed. What about us? Not that we don't get it. We just might not like it. 
He just might not like it, right? And good old Peter happens again, all right? Now, Peter has a good moment. We're going to close with his good moment. So let's turn to Matthew 26. Again. How many of you like Peter? Yeah, see, you're like, yeah, I like Peter. Peter's just like me. I like Peter. Peter makes me feel better. (laughs) I like Peter. Right? So again, Jesus, who Peter said was Christ, the Son of the living God, who, who Peter saw raise people from the dead, heal them, right? Right? Look at Matthew 26, uh, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Jesus is trying to give them a heads up. He's trying to prepare them. Because He's for them. In His revelation, in, in, the, in Matthew 16, in His revelation here, Do you understand that Jesus is trying to prep them because He loves them and wants them to be ready? And in this same illustration in Matthew 26, Peter's like, don't like that. Mm Mm-mm, not me. Maybe Mark. And Mike, I could see Balin. Scott, you're right. Even if all of them bail, not me. I'm good to go. And then, okay, Jesus is like, okay, let's get real personal, Peter. You will disown me three times. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. What did Peter do? The revelation was true. Look at Jesus. I tell you the truth. One of the reasons we may not like it is we may not really deep down believe it's the truth and it's the best. Amen? Sometimes we think, we still believe, wherever we picked it up, God is a cosmic killjoy. And if you really commit to Jesus and you really commit to walking according to Scripture, your life's going to be miserable. No friends, Ken. No more fun. No more fun, just Christianity. Do's and more don'ts. Do's and more don'ts. When the truth is, He gives us the truth because He loves us. He reveals things to us that we may not like because He loves us and wants the best for us. Amen? How many of you parents... Have ever had to tell your kids something they didn't want to hear? But you knew it was for their best interest. Right? You're trying to ruin my life. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Right? It's not that we don't necessarily get it, 
you just may not like it. And in our reaction, it's a, it's a wonderful teachable opportunity for every one of us to say, Lord, what's in my heart? What are you revealing? What's the expectation? What's the box? What's the pride? What's the pride? What was really pushing Peter's buttons in Matthew 26? Pride. You're all going to disown me. Ah! Ah, I don't like that one. That means I'm like all the rest. How many of you have found freedom in being part of the human race? <laughs> right? Just, just being in the sanctification process, not an excuse for sin, but how many of you have found freedom that nobody's got it together? Amen? I keep telling you, right here, I've said this over five years, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up, right? I keep telling you, right? Nobody's perfect. It's not an excuse to sin, but we just got to... Okay. I don't know for sure what would have happened if, if G, how it would have gone if Peter would have received that. But we do know that he reacted really out of self-centeredness, out of pride, maybe even out of self-reliance. I got this. No, no, no. I'm not like the rest. I'm better than the rest. I'm, I, I got this. I got this. You don't have to die. And we know the story. Jesus was telling the truth. Jesus was telling the truth. So how do we take some steps forward when it's not so much I don't get it, but I don't like it. I don't like it, right? And so we have to kind of go back to what we believe, what we believe about Scripture. And, and we're going to get a little bit, just a little bit teachy here. And, and I want you to hang with me because it will help you if you're new to the church to understand where we, where we stand even regarding uh, scripture being, being truth, authoritative, infallible, inerrant, everything like that, right? Because Peter's reaction in both instances, the first thing, it was really, it didn't line up with scripture. Because when Jesus was saying, hey, I have to go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, and be raised, he was really just speaking Isaiah 53. If you're familiar with that passage, right? Isaiah 53, a prophecy of what was going to happen. And then in Matthew 26, he even, he even quotes, look at Matthew 26. It says, uh, this very night you will fall away on account of me for it is written. Jesus is quoting scripture. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's Zechariah 13.7. So when this issue of, of, of I get it, but I don't like it. Maybe we have to settle the issue of the authority of scripture in our life. Maybe we have to settle the authority of Scripture. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Many of you have heard it, right? In fact, turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. Very familiar passage for us here. We've we've taught on it. We, We refer to it quite frequently because it's foundational to what we believe as a church, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? There's this truth that, hey, Scripture was given for your benefit. (laughs) 
Scripture was not given to ruin your life. It was actually given for very useful purposes. For very useful purposes. Training, rights, all of that. It, it, it goes back to verse 17. You may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? It starts all Scripture is God-breathed. Turn to Second Peter 1. Hebrews, James, First Peter, Second Peter 1. Second Peter one twenty. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Two absolutely foundational verses for us as believers and us as a church that tell us that Scripture ultimately comes from who? God. And as such, it carries His authority. We have to settle that issue. We have to. And, and, and that's the simplicity. I know Bill's been talking about revelation versus reason on Wednesday. And, and, and sometimes we struggle not... We think that our, our struggle with reasoning is trying to get it when really the struggle with, in our reasoning is that I don't like it. And so we're trying to figure it out to get it to the place where we actually like it. Do you see the difference? Sometimes we get stuck in our relationship with God because we're trying not to figure it out because it's really clear. We're trying to figure out if I like it. Because the initial response of, oh, that's a tough one. Oh, I don't like that. Instead of just submitting and yielding, I don't like that, Lord, but it's your revelation, it's your word. Instead of yielding to it and beginning to apply it and practically work that out, we say, I don't like that. Maybe there's something wrong with it. Maybe that needs to change. You, you see? And so we have to settle this issue of authority. Of authority. And that, that's, the, that's the wonderful illustration of Peter. Peter, Jesus told him what was going to happen twice. And Peter clearly understood what was going to happen twice. But Peter's reaction twice was because he didn't like it. He just didn't flat out like it. It didn't jive with his plan for his life. It didn't jive with his plan for what the Messiah was supposed to look like. It just didn't fit his box. And so we ask ourselves, Lord, how do I respond when I don't like it? When I don't like it? And part of that is believing it's the truth and it's good. It's good. Right? All of it is good because through Scripture, God reveals His plan of salvation. Amen? If you're here and you're saved, you believe you're saved, put your hand up. If you're here and you believe you're saved by grace through faith, put your hand up. Question, how do you know? 
How do you know you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast? How do you know that? They're looking at you, Doris. If, if, if you believe that, show me the source. Show me the source. Right? God's revelation was not just Jesus. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? But his, what they call special revelation was also the revelation of his plan of salvation. We like that. I like that part of revelation. We're saved by grace through faith. Yeah! Not by works. No! Just receive Jesus as your Lord and say by faith. We eat that up. Yes! Thank you, God, for revealing that. Oh, Scott, I also revealed that you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yeah! I like that! <laughs> Good answer, right? Right? Gents, right? Nod your head. Yes, yes, with enthusiasm. Yes, I like that. I like that part. Ladies are like, I like that too. I like that too, right? We have to embrace all of it. We can't just embrace salvation because we like it. We can't just embrace, I'm, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit because I like it. I can't just embrace that God will never leave me nor forsake me because I like that one. You have to embrace it all because it's all for our good. Amen? It's all for our good. And if you have a reaction to something you don't like, grace. Okay, Lord, I'm struggling with this one. Because if we want to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus, you know what He's going to do? He's going to reveal... The areas in your life where you need to be transformed. And He's going to do that probably in areas that you don't like. Probably in areas you don't like. And if you at the heart level begin to embrace that as God's truth and God's good, see what happens to your willingness to make the change to make the choices necessary in your life to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Right? It's a heart issue. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. Take the necessary time to be honest this way first. And, 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 and Lord, would you show me where I have kind of shut you out and harden my heart because I don't like what you say in this area. And when you begin to open that and then you begin to allow people in to speak truth to you and counsel you and pray with you and encourage you, suddenly transformation begins to occur because you're letting that part of Scripture change you. Amen? Amen? I, I, shared, I shared with others in the past but someone recently will use this one. Big. Big Bible, right? Big Bible. And we just said this is God's Word, authoritative, whatever. I share with someone. But we also have our own book. Life According to Ernie. Life According to Kathy. Life According to Mark. So we all have our own book. Life According likes, dislikes, beliefs, right? The question is, 
Which book has the authority in your life? Which book? See, and sometimes when we don't like what this one says, it's because we're going by this one. So the question is, and, and, and really the sanctification process, the, the becoming more and more conformed to Jesus, is like your book becoming this book. Amen? It's like you find something in this book like, whoa, whoa. Got to take that page out and replace it with this page. Amen? That's all it is. We just, we just overcomplicate it. We all have books. We all have a book. You have a book. And the book is revealed by your reactions, mostly. Your, your, your attitudes, your beliefs, your habits. It's, which book? And it's not a condemnation thing. It's a revelation thing. When I, oh, Lord. Ooh. Wow. In my book, because I grew up with a temper, even as a believer, in my book, that's just the way I was. In my book, I've always had a bad temper. So in my book, even as a Christian, I had a chapter that said, bad temper is okay. Hmm. Hmm. Love is patient. Hmm. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Hmm. Hmm. Right? See, in our book, sometimes we use our book to excuse and rationalize and justify the way we've always been. And Jesus, in His truth and His goodness and love, says, No, if you'll just begin to put my book in place of your book and live by this, put them together, see what happens. Amen? See what happens, right? And so let, let's let Peter off the hook as we close, right? Let's let Peter off the hook because he wasn't such a bad guy. He wasn't such a bad guy. Let's turn to Matthew. Matthew 14. Getting late, night. Jesus says, "Hey, why don't you guys uh, get in a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee? I'll meet you there." Matthew fourteen twenty-two. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Wow! See, Peter, Peter wasn't so bad now, was he? Hey, Jesus, is that you? If it's you, just tell me to come. See, we tend to focus on Peter, Peter falling. No, no, no. 
Jesus said, come. And what did Peter do? He came. I guarantee you, in Peter's own book, he said, walking on water is bad. In his book, walking on water equals death. (laughs) You know what I'm saying, right? So he has his book. He says, Jesus, if that you, tell me to come. Come. My book, death. Jesus says, come. And in this instance, he listened. He listened. See, there was, no, there was never going to be a reasonable, logical time to get out of a boat and walk on water. Was there? It's, right. He could have reasoned it all he wanted. Wait, let me think. Let me think. Is there a way maybe? That, that? No, he could have gone into his head. And he would have come up with the same conclusion. Crazy! My book says crazy. Jesus says Come. What in our life, what in my life and your life, is Jesus just simply saying, come. Come. If you keep waiting, there's never going to be a reasonable right time. Because there was never going to be a reasonable right time for Peter to get out of that boat, was there? Never. The only thing he had was what? Jesus' word. Lord, if it's You, tell me to come. If it's the Word of God, with the authority of God, then just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Regardless if I think it's right or reasonable or whatever, just tell me. Just reveal. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'll get out of the boat. I'll get out of the boat. Because it's based on your word, not my reasoning. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. And we looked at Peter. Two times Peter understood the revelation, understood truth, but he just didn't like it. It didn't fit his box. It didn't fit his agenda. It's not what he would have done. It pushed his button of pride and self-reliance and self-centeredness. And he reacted because he didn't like it. And we're reminded, Jesus, that you said, Peter, I'm telling you the truth. Because I love you. Because I want the best for you. I just want want to tell you the truth. I'm not here to ruin your life. I'm just telling you the truth. And then we see a wonderful, wonderful illustration. Where Peter hears your, your word. Come. And in that moment, Peter exercises faith. Peter exercises simple obedience to your word. Despite all the, the irrationality and all the craziness written in his book of, of why I shouldn't, why I shouldn't, why I can't, why I won't, 
He chose in this moment to respond in faith and obedience. Because it was you telling Him to come. And so, Father, in our life, would You lovingly reveal to us those areas where You're telling us to get out of the boat in simple faith and obedience. We may not like it. We get it. But we may not like it. But really, it's not about us. We believe that the Word of God is Your Word which carries Your authority, Your truth. So forgive us, Father, this day. For the times we've been like Peter and have rebuked You and said, Never, Lord. I can't do that ever. Never, Lord. You can't mean that. Never, Lord. I can't forgive. Never, Lord. I can't change. Never, Lord. Never, Lord. Never, Lord. Forgive us. For simply refusing to yield. And so as we prepare for communion, I'm reminded of Jesus in the garden. And He struggled. He said, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He didn't particularly like it. Jesus understood fully the pain, the agony, the torture, the humiliation that was about to happen. He didn't like it. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And as we take communion this morning, would not only we remember Jesus, but Lord, is there an issue in my life where I need to say, Lord, I don't like this, but nevertheless, not my will, but Your will be done. Nevertheless, Lord, I yield to Your will because I trust You. Because I believe You love me. And so we take this time of communion this morning in remembrance of Jesus, but also yielding our hearts to say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You say, come. I choose to get out of the boat. Amen.